Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. You know, this is a, a good day. We have one of my longtime wish list guests on, and then also our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, has just come out on Sunday. It's live on Amazon. You can check out consummateathlete.com slash book for details on that, or just give it a search on Amazon. We'd appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty exciting day all around. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, you know, we, we always talk about like, oh, you know, we've had these people on our wish list. This guy has been on Peter's wish list since day one of the podcast. So do you do you want to tell them who it is? Yeah, today we have Dan John on, who's a strength coach. You know, one of my favorite authors, I would say. He writes about strength coaching for sure. But I, I think his books are, are just like his his newsletter is called Wandering Weights, and it covers all sorts of different things. You know, he's a lecturer um, around sort of religious studies and, and theology. So this gets tied into a lot of things. But yeah, the books are deeply philosophical for weightlifting. Books. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it, right? And so I, I like it because, and we talk about this in the podcast, but it's, you know, I, I really like movement. I really like strength training, you know, athleticism and all this stuff in the different sports. Um, you know, certainly as a, a kinesiologist, that's sort of my bias is to like to learn about different sports and different training modalities. Uh, but I also think, you know, we work with a lot of adults and, you know, quote unquote, real people. Right. And I think Dan John's writing really captures this idea that like nutrition's important, you know, play is important, you know, socialization's important. So that's when, when we talk about philosophical, it's often that he's tying in everything that people have to deal with. Right. It's, you know, you, you don't exist in this like 30 minute crusher, high intensity workout that you do. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would also like to add, we really want to have Dan John back on for another episode. And I personally really want to hear Dan John's guide to surviving an apocalypse. Uh, if you read his any of his books, especially his latest one, Attempts, uh, you'll understand why. So if you would like to have him back on, if you have another question for him, please let us know. Uh, head over to consummateathlete.com and leave us a comment on the show notes for this episode or tag us in an Instagram story or post, or, you know, just, uh, you know, come over to Instagram where we're going to be talking about this episode as well. That awesome. would be awesome. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's get into this episode with one of Peter's longtime heroes, Dan John. I was pondering this and, you know, I, I look up to you in so many different ways and I've really enjoyed your books over the years. And I, I was wondering if you could reflect to start it just a, on how do, how do you keep at it? You know, it's 40 years with a whistle, the, the book before this latest one. And how do you stay interested in, in strength training and strength coaching? Well, okay, I, I cheat a little bit, okay? It, okay, I, that's, a, that's a great question, but it's like, uh, so even when I was little, I mean, I think I have the first, I think I have, but the first strength and health I ever looked at. Yeah. Yeah, I have it, yeah, in fact, yeah, here it is. And this is it right here. Okay. This is the first one. All right. Oh, wow. And May 1964. So I've, it's, it's like my love affair. It's like my passion. It's, uh, it's for me to, to, for me to talk about weightlifting anytime is, is never work. You know, it's not, it, you know, they, they always talk about, you, you hear this thing, uh, some people don't agree with it that 
you know, find your passion. And I now, I now see that some people don't agree with it. It's, it's got, now that, of course, you know, the pendulum always swings, you know, how that goes. Yes. but for me, I kind of lucked out because I found this thing, uh, strength, strength and conditioning, uh, the, the, that whole, this whole thing, the discussions about, I mean, the discussions about gut biomes and whether a sandbag is better than a kettlebell. You know, I find that stuff interesting. So I am cheating a little bit. I want you to know that. But it's it's something I, I really like to do. Uh, you know, it doesn't bother me to roll out of bed and answer a bunch of questions. This morning I was, I turned on that Instagram thing because I was doing, I was in my gym. I thought it was 28 degrees. It wasn't Fahrenheit. My, my gym this morning was 19 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, but I, I read the I read the thermometer wrong because it was so cold, and I'm in there doing squat snatches, you know, and I didn't go very heavy, but I, but for me to turn on Instagram live and do what I do about 15 sets of snatches, and then I work out after that, I, I just, it's, I know it sounds crazy, but I mean it's like do you like oranges? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you like oranges. I mean, is it a struggle when oranges come ripe again and they're the perfect kind of oranges that taste orangey? Yeah. It's not really a, a fight for you to enjoy a good orange, you know? Well, and I wonder, you know, the other thing that I, I look up to, you know, sometimes you hear people talk, and again, this is one of those things that goes one way or the other, but the idea of like making a niche for yourself. And I, I think I've looked up to you because you've done a, it seems like a great job of like, you, you do, you know, the throwing stuff, you do, you know, more like, you know, combat, you do some health and fitness. And it seems like you do a, a variety of things. Would you agree with that? Or like, is that part of the strategy? Do you think? No, I think I'm forced into it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think my areas of expertise would be, you know, a very, very narrow band, to be honest with you. What I really know, what I think I'm good at, like I think I'm really good at taking a, a, an 11-year-old and building, uh, giving them a 20-plus year career as a discus thrower. I think I'm really good at that, you know? Okay. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, but if when I'm helping this young person develop, I have to teach them about diet, nutrition, recovery, and then someone will listen to me talking about my recovery or sleep ideas, and they'll be like, wow. I've, <laughs> You're a sleep guru. More. And I, yeah, it's like, well, okay, so, you know, uh, here's the seven things you should, wow, let me write this down. You, you got to write these things down. Okay. And then Bernie, it's just, I think, Peter, it's because I'm a bit, because I love the conversation. I love the interaction. I love teaching. Uh, Steve Ledbetter, uh, Coach Steve-O, has a series of pictures that he posted years ago called He Just Can't Stop. So we did a workshop and we're late for something because I keep, someone will ask about the overhead squat and I'll put them on the, you know, push them on the ground, and put my knee into their back and pull their arms back. See, and then, okay, that makes sense. All right, five more steps. Hey, will you help me with and the kettlebell swing? And I'll be grabbing their hands and pulling it through their zipper and they'll say, yeah, I just can't stop teaching uh i just can't stop <laughs> okay and i mean there's i, I was like okay uh, reading this latest book and i'm like you know what i bet you dan john would like that latest david epstein book range and then i get to the end of the book and you've already got it um and, and you know that's sort of the direction i see you as well you know you obviously have um 
the what is the word I'm looking for? You're you're teaching, right? As far as um, you know, that's a whole other element part of you. Um, so that I, I guess that is that part of this longevity. Do you think is that some of this range that that Epstein talks about? Yeah, I, I would say so. But I, I also have this bizarre thirst for knowledge. So you're going to probably wonder about what. Did, so Mike Brown showed up and we did uh, we did a bodybuilding workout with uh, about oh just about a mile of heavy hands after that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what do we talk about the whole time? We talk about Euripides and this Canadian author named Ann Carson and her insights on Euripides. Uh, this is the true story. Okay. So I think. I think <laughs> I think I love, I have a love, I have a love for learning. Uh, in my weekly wandering weights, I've been breaking down almost paragraph by paragraph, T.H. White's The Sword and the Stone. And The Sword and the Stone is a lot like the book uh, Dumas' The Count of Monte Cristo, where when you finish the book, one of the lessons you should learn is the love of learning and how learning can turn the corner. And I think I fell in love with The Sword and the Stone because it is a book about how to learn, how to teach, how to be a lifelong learner. And so for me, I think that's just part of, that's just part of the terrible package that makes me me. You know, uh, uh, if you if you read my watering weights and... and this is your and, newsletter, right? That people can subscribe to? Yeah? yeah if, subscribe. Yeah. Just stick your email in. And I promise. <laughs> We will never sell you anything. I promise. There is there is no sell because I love the work. Um, but Peter, these are these are actually kind of interesting questions, a little bit out of the normal. Well, I tried for, for that. I tried for that. Yeah. I try and be yeah. a little greedy with them, and just like, okay, what do I want to ask personally? Um, sure. But keeping on this idea of the other thing that I think for our podcast listeners, I guess, if you want to try and bring me back onto topic, um, is this idea of knitted and fitness. So I wonder if you could talk about that because that fits a lot with our consummate athlete idea that Molly and I have tried to, you know, popularize, I guess, or or spread that it's okay to do that. Um, But do you want to tell about this fitness and the knitted idea? Because I think that'll go over really well. You know, I first got this from uh, Steve Ilg, I-L-G, who I think is really one of the brighter people in the game. He knits Western cha- uh, training with Eastern spirituality. And he, he reminds us that the word fit means knitted. And the best way to think about fit is a jigsaw puzzle, I think. When the pieces fit, you know, you don't, when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle and you get the pieces to fit, you know it, right? It's, it looks right, they fit right. And so what I try to do with not only my athletes, but every single person I meet, is when I talk about fitness, uh, I try to get them, well, sometimes I call it the lees, the spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, all those areas, all your lees, they they wrap in together with this idea that you want six-pack abs. it is a basic part, of, and I'm. By the way, I might be the last person who talks about this, but I'm still a great believer in Western civilization. Uh, this idea that body, mind, soul, and spirit should be one thing. Um, one of my tenets of training people in the weight room: the body is one piece. If you have diarrhea, we're not going to back squat today. 
if you just broke up with your girlfriend, probably not a good idea to do the Olympic lesson. Well, um, it might be a good day to power lift. It might be a good day to do hill sprints, but it's not a good day to do anything hyper-technical because the body is one piece. And you can see it now with the COVID disaster here in the United States. Uh, my state just made national news because officially we're ration, rationing health care now. Uh, now, I live in a place called Utah, and our state legislator's uh, original idea was to have the seagulls come and eat all the COVID viruses, uh, or viri, I should say. How embarrassing. Uh, that was an original plan, kind of a Borat with the, the frying pan and the flashlight when he's using, he's hitting the viruses on the wall. <laughs> um, but you know what? When you think about what's hit people, the COVID uh, issue, a lot of people are talking about the financial impact on their fitness. You know, they're trying to invent a home gym without, you know, and that, and God bless you for doing it. I support you a thousand percent. I mean, I can't, uh, that's great. The issues of trying to teach your kid uh, mathematics and trying to do uh, you know, six sets of five in the front squat. Uh, the, the frustration level of trying to teach somebody, you know, your own flesh and blood, you know, mathematics right. has to be a thousand times worse than, you know, stepping in the ring at the nationals. Because, you know, I've tried to teach my own kids. It's, it's rough. Before I didn't have to do it eight hours a day, uh, almost without end, you know. Mm -hmm. So to me, a fit person is a person who it is fit for the task. Um, you know, I'm 63, but if you live near me, Peter, I'd be the first person to call if you had to move the couch. Yes. I'm, fit. I'm a great couch mover. I'm, I don't want to, I'm a renowned. Yes, mover. you cling to this title of couch yeah. mover. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. But So when it comes to certain things in friendships, you know, being fit for friendship means, you know, you're the person who steps up when uh, it's time to move or a disaster happens or even a, you know, even something as simple as, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your grandfather. To me, that's what a fit person is. Right. Somebody who understands that when a friend's dad dies, you say something or you step up and you, uh, you cook something. Yeah. And I guess perhaps that perspective on, like you say, you know, there's things going on in the world. We're stressed about this. We're, you know, we have other health concerns. Right. And I think it's, you know, I think you have a, a, a phrase in the latest book about like, the marathon PB, like someone who runs a marathon is fit for marathoning, but may not be the fittest person in the world or the, the most knitted. Well, here's the other thing too, you know, with health, uh, you can compete in a marathon with a cancer. Now you might be fit to run a marathon, but I would technically say because of the cancer, you're not healthy. Right. Can, can I go all th through all four terms if you don't mind? I would love that. Yeah, and we're, we uh, the listeners should know about Maffetone, which I know is part of that. So go go for it. Sure. So health, I use Maffetone's definition, the optimal interplay of the human organs. And you find that out through blood tests, eye exams, dental checkups, that kind of thing. Um, you can never assume by your eye that someone's healthy or unhealthy. You just can't. The next word is fitness, which we discussed, the ability to do a task. And I use my uh, high school roommate, uh, Charles Darwin's uh, definition there. Uh, then the next word is the tough one. It's longevity. 
And there's two sides of that. That's the quality and quantity issue. In my family, we don't have quantity. We just don't. We die young. Uh, Peter, I was at a workshop last year in England, and I said that. And someone came up to me after and said, you shouldn't talk like that, not knowing that at that moment my brother Phil had just died. Yeah. So we die young, man. And so it's – but boy, we have – But I, so I focus on quality. quality. Yeah. And then the fourth term is performance, which is what basically what I do. I, I'm a performance coach, whether it's dancing, Broadway singing, uh, acting, discus throwing, or knocking somebody down. You know, performance is when somebody calls your name and the lights come on and you step up. Yeah. Usually, right now, Peter, a hand goes up in the audience and they'll say, What about fat loss? And it's funny because for the bulk of the people, all four of those terms uh, comes right to adipose tissue, to obesity, to fat loss. Yeah. They don't say fat loss, they say weight loss, but I, I, I know what they mean. Right. So it is interesting because fat loss has become... Well, yeah, almost it, like fitness, right? Like it's that's what people think about. Yeah. It, I, I don't... Is it the paradigm of what... When someone asks what I do for a living... Um, we have a word in uh, theology called steno symbol, which I think is very important. It's when a word takes on one meaning. Uh, the best example is gay. You know, a hundred years ago, you wrote a poem talking about Don, we now are gay apparel. And the word gay had a specific meaning. In 2020, gay has a very specific meaning. I think the steno symbol in our field may have become fat loss. Uh, so when I'm talking about health, the audience is waiting for me to talk about uh, caloric restriction. When I'm talking about fitness, they're waiting for me to talk about uh, sweating. When I talk about longevity, obesity, and the impact of obesity, when I talk about performance, they get this idea of six-pack abs and cut, where really, in, in most of the sports I work with, well, especially the kind of athletes we work with, the, you're never going to see six-pack abs and cuts mm -hmm. because you, know, you have somebody that size. You know, There's a joke in American football. Everybody gets slower as the game goes on. No one gets smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're having in cycling and endurance sport, like it's, it's, I think it's creeping in there for sure. And I mean, this has always been, it's a weight dependent sport, right? But the idea that like at some point we're, you know, the, the quote is like the fueling the work required. Um but like at some point you want to put more power out and that requires more fueling, but that like, it's a lot, it's always less, I'll just eat less and get lighter and lighter and lighter. Right. And it's, you know, at some point it's power and recovery and, you know, perfor right. performance. Right. Yes. <clears throat> and I think the good coaches, uh, <clears throat> let's say the good systems figure that out earlier. They get you there a little quick. They figure that out a little quicker. Mm -hmm. And, and I, do, I, I do like the word <clears throat> pardon me, system here uh, rather than just saying coaches because, you know, uh, you know, like John Dunn said, no man is an island. And I think nowadays in high performance, uh, that British cycling team, when they decide to just do 1% improvement. Yeah, sky, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how true it is that that's your world, but, you know. No, when, that when got really popular. <laughs> Yeah, but in yeah. my world, hearing that was like, well, yeah, because what separates elite throwers is 
My friend Brian Oldfield took sixth place at the Olympics. Uh, will they be able to see this, or should I just tell them? Uh, you can describe it, yeah. They won't be able to see the video, no. He took sixth place. I believe he was in sixth by eight inches. Wow. You can't fit two shots together <laughs> distance. He did not get a medal in. Yeah. But yeah. See, one shot uh, is because it's harder. But isn't that shocking? Isn't that something? And it was like that. The problem with that, like anything, right, is like it's a – would you agree that it's like that's a, an elite level consideration, the 1%, right? And then uh, – the, the, the everyday person gets obsessed with the 1% but forgets the 99, right? Yeah. Oh, thanks for going that direction because I was going to I was gonna steer, steer this quickly uh, <laughs> to what you just said. And yet, uh, so I had a nice little Instagram note from somebody about how I've really helped them with their career because of my absolute, I will not stop doing the fundamentals. I will out-fundamental you. Mm-hmm. Peter, I got into bicycling and I know jack about it. I would out fundamentally. I would ask, in fact, I'm going to ask you, what are the three keys? And you're going to tell me what the three keys. Oh, I, was wor- I was worried you were going to ask me this. Um, I would say, so in, like, as far as we have the start, and I'll go with mountain biking just because there's different d- disciplines and that's sort of mine is mountain biking. So the start is very important. So if you were like, how do I get go? I would say you'd have to work on your the skill of starting, but the power of starting. Good. You need to start well. And then I would say the technical skill is very important, um, which we could broaden out or make more specific. And then probably the the endurance, because it's a 90-minute race, so there is like an element of like you have to have some sort of cardiovascular training or else you just won't get there. You know, it, it, thank you. For, and, and there you go. So if I'm going to compete against you and I know nothing, nothing about your sport, I will defeat you because I'll focus on the three things you just said. Well, you might have a really good start. So, you just... <laughs> and no, not me personally, my athletes. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. I, you would have a good start. But we're just gonna we're gonna focus on what wins. Right. Exactly. And, or, well, what gets you to eighty percent? I think in one of my books I talk about when I was asked to be an eighth grade uh, volleyball coach. I was asked by my daughter while she was crying, saying, "We need a coach." which meant, Dad, you're going to be the new coach. So I asked a volleyball girl, what are the three keys to winning? She said, get the serve over and in, protect the middle, play as a team. Guess what we did? That's exactly all we did. That's all we did. I would take a timeout. If a ball hit in the middle, I would take a timeout, and the kids would go, rule two, I know. And then we would talk to each other about how that happened. No, you know, and now number three, play like a team. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand ninety-five percent of the game. Uh, I, 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 I'm, there's this thing they go where they raise both hands in the air, and I would always argue with the judge about it. I go, "Were you? Are you right on that?" I had no idea what the the, the uh, infraction was, but at my height, size, when you can, when you talk to an official, they, oh uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty close to it, and that I knew, you know that. Most of the stuff I didn't understand. I still don't know if the line is in or out. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked that idea of like, what are the three most important things? And you, you have a tangential or related thing about, you know, what are the, if you only had three sessions, is it three sessions or two sessions of sort of 15, 20 minutes? What would you yeah, do? It's called the prisoner's dilemma. For whatever reason, uh, Peter, uh, you're, are you in, you're in Canada, right? We are. Yeah. My wife, Molly's actually from the States. So we are, we do have a love for the States too, but... 
don't hold that against her. Um, you know, I'm half Canadian. That's why I make fun of you guys all. I did not know that. Um, yeah, my dad's from Sherbrooke. Okay, very good. Our Quebecois friends, good. We, oui, yeah. Uh, uh, do you know any American? We oui. French fries, the baseball. <laughs> That's my cousin's one. That's in school. English. Uh, oh darn it! What were we talking about? Shoot. Uh, prisoner's dilemma. No, oh, prisoner's dilemma. So up there in Canada, they probably put you in jail for uh, I don't know, uh, putting on a sweater when you know it's only ten below. Um, you know, so you, for that reason, you only get three 15 minute sessions a week to do your love, your passion, your whatever. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Mountain biking, I would do starts and then I would do some climbing intervals basically. And then, like I say, sort of an endurance, I guess maybe endurance. That's pretty time crunch, but those would be the things, right? Um, and, and I think I it's love- even the start, right? Like I say this to you, it seems common sense. I think most people would agree. And then you'd never see start practice, never see like a standing start done in practice. Really? Yeah. 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 Like super rare. Yeah. And yet, and yet you're convinced, guess what you just became, you just became even, even more. So mountain biking is a different, like it's different, right. than road cycling. It's, it's still pedaling. It's very similar, but so much of our training, especially if you look at on the annual is on a road bike. Um, and it's somewhat weather dependent too, obviously, but yeah, it's mind boggling. Like we have a really weird sport like that. I mean, cross country skiing would be similar, right? Where you don't get to do the actual sport that often. Um, well, and then once Bill Coke brought in the, the skate style, uh, all of a sudden they all went to those rollerblades. Remember, uh, rollerblades come from cross country skiing. I don't know if I ever connected that, but I, I did like the motions very similar. Yeah. We have a person here locally who still keeps that alive. Yeah, I'm, uh, I had a chance in 1985 to listen to Bill Koch, and I was by far the largest person in the room, and I was the only person in the room who could actually hear him because I was listening to what he was telling us. Not, I didn't have any – like if you and I went to a mountain biking conference, mm-hmm. I think clearly I would learn more than you, right? Sure, yeah. Just because of the volume of stuff I don't know. But I also think, and don't take this wrong at all. No, I, I would hear better than you. For sure. There's no bias or, or less yeah. bias. Yeah. I'm not arguing with the speaker. We tried that. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm telling you that you should have three practices a week of maybe I would take a 15 minute session and we're going to do starts. And actually I'm going to go on your market set. Go. Is that what you guys say in the sport? Or Something is, yeah, essentially it's like 15 seconds and then it blows a whistle or a light changes anytime after all right so we go 15 seconds and i blow a whistle and then i would time you to see how fast it, it takes you to go 50 meters mm-hmm. and that's and then you saunter back and we do it again mm-hmm. and the idea is i want you and i would make up a number at first until i had until i had evidence i'd make up a number and sometimes we'd go uphill and sometimes we go downhill but I would just make up numbers and, and tell them, yeah, we need you at 14 seconds. <laughs> whatever, whatever they come through the first time and they've got to drop two seconds off of that. Yeah. This is just, yeah. And you got to fake it till you make it. You know, it's okay to lie to your athletes, you know, uh, God, I like, that's funny. I like that. But, 
that's how you reinforce the importance of starts. Yeah. Yeah. I've, it's been, we've been trying to correct it a little bit here. Um, but yeah, it, it struck me. And well, I think it actually came from some of these questions is just, well, why aren't we doing that? Right. But that's why you always need a fresh set of eyes. Hmm. You know, that's why I think, you know, years ago, uh, some Soviet coach went to watch the San Francisco 49ers practice and then the Soviet track and field coach. And Bill Walsh wanted to know what he thought. And the Soviet coach said something like, it's very boring. And Bill Walsh took that to heart because it was somebody else's eyes. You know, it's like when the great uh, German uh, uh, track and field coach, Tony Nett, went to uh, San Jose State. He ripped on the science of American track and field. That was his first part. And the second part of what he wrote was how screwed up it was in, in Europe because the Europeans were so scientific, they forgot good old-fashioned hard work. And what was making the Americans better was, yeah, maybe our science wasn't good, but we work hard. And what I, what I love about, see, that's what I mean about a different set of eyes. Mm. Sometimes you bring in another set of eyes. Um, in fact, I just got a text from, he's a principal of school now, but he was an economics teacher with me. Uh, and one time I asked him, would he mind coming out and watching me throw for half an hour? The, throw the discus. He knew nothing about the discus. <laughs> but what he did was he asked me why I didn't chart my throws. Of course he would, yeah. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, when you get in the ring, what's your plan? Well, you know, today's a you know, strong tricep. Well, where's that written down, and how do you, how do you ref? And I went like, hey, by the, I, if honestly, Peter, if we had a twelve-second discussion, I'd be surprised, because mm. by the time he said went through that, I went, okay, <laughs> I'm just doing, I'm just doing a kumbaya tr- throwing session. There's no, right? Like it, he he wanted charts and graphs. Well, he wanted me to, he wanted me to have deliberate practice. And how can you have deliberate practice unless you deliberately practice? Mm-hmm. See, I thought I was because I went to the ring, I warmed up and I took some throws and I was working on some things, but there was no deliberation in my deliberation. Mm-hmm. And that that's why you need that other set of eyes. That's why that's why cycle guy and weightlifter guy need to talk. Yeah, is because you Look- need my I need your eyes. Yes, exactly. You do a good job of, again, you, you have this range, but, and I think that comes across, I think that's again why I like a lot of your writing is that you, you, I think it's because you realize that it's not just a weightlifter in a gym. It's a weightlifter who has kids and a job and uh, isn't sleeping. And as you say, you know, whatever, all these different things going on. Um, so I think in your books, it's fun because there'll be, you know, in this latest ones, there's like, I, I, you were like, you need to learn how to ride a bicycle. And I was like, yes, yes, fundamental movement. Um, and then it was, you know, all these different things like laundry advice and <laughs> different things. We love to put the load of laundry in. We we're always like, oh, when in doubt, put it in, put the load of laundry in. So I appreciate that. Do you think, where, how do you think that some of that stuff 
fits in when, when we're thinking about goal setting for, and, and I work a lot with adult athletes, right? So these are the people with all these other pieces to the puzzle. How do you, how do you help someone, you know, decide, you know, they're, they're going to try and set this goal. They want to be, you know, go race bikes or go, you know, in your case, lifting weights or do whatever. Um, how do you help them reconcile that? Like, I don't know if that's the not me concept or if that's, you know, knowing what point B is and what it takes to get there. Uh, of all the things, uh, so see, I think that your training, your sport, even. So let's let's make sure we break it up. Okay, so this idea that you need to do this. Okay, for some reason, people believe that every day you should have this physical time where you do these things that will make you more mobile, more flexible, stronger, your cardiovascular system. So whatever you want to call that unit of your day, okay? okay. I call it my workout, okay? Now, I think that workout shouldn't be one hour of 24. I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of, you know, you taking a sledgehammer and pounding out this one hour. I want your training to be literally seamless with the rest of your life. And so one of the things I work with people first usually is that, <laughs> the habit of conditioning is just not part of their life. The habit of preparing for a performance is not part of their life. So what we need to do is look at their life and see where those, where are they falling down in their normal life by letting, and I, I mean, I know right now we're not supposed to believe free will anymore, but I still do believe in free will, just to let you know. Not theologically, because I know it. Uh, uh, Peter, do you have children? No, we don't. No. Okay. If you were to have something happen and all of a sudden you had to deal with six kids in your life, all under the age of 12, some, some, there was an auto accident, you, you're, you're now in charge. Would that change your training? For sure it would. We got a puppy in March and, <laughs> and that's changed. That's disrupted things a lot. Not that it's the same at all, which we need to put that caveat in, but um, definitely but, something changed in the day to day. Yeah. So my job often is to deal with the person on the other side. They have the six kids. They can't even. And that's when doing something like white laundry on Monday night, dark laundry on Tuesday night can often free up someone's brain so that they're not constantly chasing laundry. Uh, having a menu means you're not constantly going, what do you want for dinner? I hate the question, what do you want for dinner? I, I, I hate that question because I think it destroys. Now, now I'm going to say, okay, we're going to have spaghetti and salad. Well, do we have any salad? No, let me go to the store and get some. I come back. We don't have noodles. <laughs> Yeah. We should have shot for that when we shot and take, you, you follow? Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. And taking care of that. And then what I try to do is show people that in their life, uh, there's these exercise opportunities like, uh, well, in month two of my, if, if I'm going to work with you as a fat loss client, month two is that you have to park as far away, the most, in in the office complex, the parking space that's the farthest from your office or your classroom or your the and and I, I tell you I tell people you work with if you ever see Peter not parking there let me know and I'll fire him as a client I'll keep all the money 
but I'm going to fire them as a client. Uh, and, and people go, well, how does, how, uh, month one, by the way, is you have to drink two glasses of water a day. And I get this from uh, B.J. Fogg's Tiny Habits. But sometimes when you're trying to turn the Titanic around, you know, it's better to have to do it earlier than later. But what we need to do is you've got to walk with people until, until they can kind of jog away. And in the, in the beginning of working with most people, it is opening up simple things in their life. So when you do the white laundry on Monday night, that's because Dan John said to do white laundry on Monday night. And that gives me free time to go Tuesday to go do goblet squats with him. You see? Mm-hmm. So what you want to start doing is integrating these this this workouty thing in to so that's seamless with the rest of your life. So when you're working out at the gym, but you you have Viking enchiladas on the slow cooker, you know that when you get home, because you put that meal on when you left for work in the morning, you know when you get home. You're not gonna stop at McDonald's or Oh, wait, you're up in the north. Oh, uh, we have McDonald's for sure. Tim, you're not going to stop at Tim Horton. To get, uh, <laughs> there you go. To get a maple, right? Uh, you know? Was that, was that, was that good? Was that, that good? was good. They'll, they'll like that, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to stop at Tim Hortons. You know you got food when you get home. We stopped the daughters from losing, you know, from uh, fast fooding because they would always come home to a house smelling of food whether it was chicken and soup or chili or whatever it had to be. And, but I would train when my daughter's the most busy time in my life was probably 2004, the year I threw the discus the farthest. It's funny. I was, yeah. I was 47 by the way. Okay. And do my best. And it's because I had a menu, I had a chores list. I had a very busy schedule. And so I had to relearn how to train. And that's when I did the loaded carries, the e- loaded carries, easy strength, complex is one appropriate. Radically different thing. No, no one in the world was training like I was. And the reason that was true, Peter, is I was the busiest thrower in the world. I had two full-time jobs. My wife was on the road all the time. And I had two middle school players. Hmm. I had to take care of them. I had to cook for them. I had a dog and a cat. And sort then, of that like, busy people get stuff done, right? Oh, absolutely. Seen sure. it a bunch of times over the years where people, you know, they, whatever, they get laid off and with a package. So then they have like, you know, a couple months where they can be like full out, like quote unquote pro. And it just, it doesn't work out that way. So here in the States, we have that college system, right? So you're, you're one of my athletes at, at the university. Okay. And if you're good, you might say, you know, next year, when I don't have all the classwork and homework and stuff, and I can dedicate myself to my sport, I'm going to really leap up. Almost universally, it's the worst year of their career. Mm-hmm. Because now they have all the time to do all the stupid stuff that gets them from being great. And overthink it, maybe, too. Well, overthink it. Oh, you know, I mean, you can overcome all kinds of things. But there is something magical about what you said. And it comes from the book, uh, Seeing Northcote Parkinson's, part of Parkinson's Law. And he's got this great chapter on this elderly woman 
writing a thank you note. So she goes to the stationery store. She spends two hours finding the right uh, parchment, the right card, can't find a stamp, or you give it to a busy guy. And he takes a piece of paper and goes, thank you. <laughs> Work fills to the time given. Mm. Mm. And the nice thing about that, so to get off, sorry, I tend to ramble and I apologize. No, it's fantastic. Um, getting us back to this to this idea of the prisoner's dilemma, if I go and watch you train people and you're not practicing starts, I'm going to bring the whole group over and slap you across the face. No, that's actually true. So I'm just letting you know. Uh, because you have failed on the fundamental. You, yeah, getting started. Yeah. You told me this is what makes people win. In, in American football, John Heisman, the Heisman Trophy, Canadian football also. Block, tackle, ball control. He said that in 1931. It's still, you can watch last weekend's games, circle every missed tackle. If you get more than five missed tackles in a game, you lose. And yet, you'll find teams missing tackles. Fundamental fun. If you're a defensive coordinator and you're not tackling every day, uh, you're not doing the job. I don't see you have to hit as hard as you possibly can to put people in the hospital. But you've got to do the fundamentals. Fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. Okay. We don't have much time, so I'm going to try and hit you with some faster questions, I think. Okay. So you have an endurance athlete who wants to start strength, um, probably at home. They have a decent amount of equipment, but not a ton. Would you start them with uh, easy strength, or what, how would you go about that? Endurance athlete, easy strength. Yep. Okay. In fact, forget, easy strength comes from the work of the Australian coach, Percy Sarity. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. know it actually came from him. I know you mentioned him, but I didn't connect the two. Well, when Pavel told me about it in 2003, the, I'd already had the book around for 11 years, Serenity uh, on Training. And one of the first things I did when I went home from this thing down in, uh, it was either Las Vegas or Phoenix, I can't remember which one. And I just remember going, I know this. That's what broke my heart. So I would suggest, let me just tell you straight up, your endurance athletes, an overhead press. Let's do it real simple. Vertical press, vertical pull, deadlift variation. That's for strength. I would consider doing an ab wheel as part of it too. Okay. So have three plus one training program. And probably one set of 10 in the ab wheel. And do you do it really slow? Like you sometimes you'll see it, people go crazy on the ab wheel, which I know is just ill fated. But you just do like five or ten quality slow yeah, reps. That's what we do it. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but regularly yeah. as as is easy strength. It's in yeah, there. yeah, there's no world champion uh, ab. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Crap I see online, and you know these you know these guys you know this drugged up twenty two year old with you know eight eight pack abs. Look what I can do when he's doing circus tricks. It's like, dude, you're 22. If you're not ripped at 22, it's, right? It's pretty, it's sort of like, yeah, we have the same thing with like 16 year old boys, and then people like will do something crazy training wise, and they get faster. And it's like, well, they're a 16 year old; they should be getting almost irregardless of what you do, right? Yes. Yeah, so I would say vertical push, vertical pull, a deadlift variation appropriate. And then the ab wheel, three plus one. Keep the reps uh, for you guys. Two two sets of five. Once it gets kind of heavy, you have to drop the three sets of three. Fine, but uh, 
don't, don't, don't work too hard. Don't, <laughs> what's the old joke? Don't think you're ill-equipped. Yeah. <laughs> Let it work. Yeah. I've had great luck with that. Um, and I'm actually just starting into another blog now. So thank you for that one. Uh, last question, I think, hopefully it's, I don't know if you can answer it quickly or not, but the idea of rolling is a big thing, sort of getting on the floor. We have the Turkish getups, maybe like an initial part of that. Is there, what would be next? Someone's got the Turkish getup pretty good. Uh, where would you go? Tumbling. So just get a mat and roll around. For your sport, I would insist that all my athletes tumble. Not only might I save a broken collarbone, we might be able to save a life. And so that would be somersaults, those you know those shoulder rolls you see in judo, jiu-jitsu, yeah. uh, backward rolling, uh, cartwheels. Hey, hi! Someone's in the back. <laughs> that was Molly. Hi, Molly. Dan Johnson, uh-huh. hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. So cartwheels into uh, so you do you do cartwheels and then you do shoulder rolls off of it. To practice going high to low, right. uh, you can call it break falling. Uh, hire a martial artist to teach you some stuff. I was just talking to a coach. Would you recommend judo, or is there a direction you'd go with that? Well, that's what I did was judo. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, it's, you know, I'm telling you something. It's the only sport I've ever been. At. I was the best in my group. They all had. They all had. I think there were yellow belts, and I had two practices. It's the only sport I was ever absolute natural in. I wish I'd have kept doing it. It's always the way. I say that about piano too. I think I probably could have been good, and then I, it wasn't cool, so I stopped. I was young. I was young as a six, so I, I knew how to fight from very young. You know, so yeah. I was finally against somebody my size. Use your leverage and everything. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it makes sense, right? Like tumbling against things that we don't think about, but it's, you know, as a, a cyclist, you fall and you, you hit it, collarbones, right? And it's like, well, what ruins consistency is well being out for six weeks with a collarbone. Yeah. And so and it might be worth your time, if you don't mind me saying more. Please. I don't know how much gear you guys, armor you guys build up on mount, on, on the BMX stuff. The how more, much? like cross-country mountain bike's crazy because it's like you look like a road cyclist, but you're riding over very crazy things. So I would suggest at least if you're going to have, say in a month, you should probably have three sessions a month of tumbling. I would say two to be exhausting. And the third one would be very sports specific. And I would gear up. Uh, and because, you know, we're just one of the things that the hardest catch to make in American football is one that's coming from behind and it goes over the stripe in the middle of your helmet. Yeah. that there. And the reason is, is when you look up, the back of your helmet, for a moment, bounces off your shoulder pad area. There's there's holes on both, but you, it just catches. So you lose fly to the ball. And so you can't, in the off-season, throwing the ball over here, you'll make every single basket catch. But it takes a while to learn the equipment side. So I would have some equipment tumbling days. Like equipment specific to the sport, you mean, or to tumbling? Okay. Uh, yeah we have helmets but they're again like a road helmet so it's not crazy but it would be in the way when you were crashing i guess you have helmets you have shoulder pads uh, arm stuff no but uh, helmets so with the helmet when you do a shoulder roll you have a much bigger thing out there yeah. if it hits the ground wrong you break your neck 
Sure. Yeah, and it'd be weird to tuck your head, I guess, when I'm thinking about doing somersaults here. Um, yeah. Yes. Don't, what you what you just said is important. It's going to be weird. We don't want weird. We want when shit comes down. You don't want to be going now. What? That's what I say to you after you compete. I don't want you saying that way. Go, woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would it doesn't have to be crazy. In fact, that'd be a fun practice. Starts and tumbling with the headgear on. Yeah, yeah. And, and so do you see that as like you'd pull out mats and stuff then? Is, is yeah. If, if you were just guessing, I know you don't know a ton about the environment, but that's what you, you just try and have like gymnastics mats around and then you play around tumbling. Yeah. You can do that. That would be the two formal ones. The third one might be okay on just grass. Mm-hmm. Grass. Or we're in Canada. The nice thing that we do, and actually, the national coach actually put this out last year, was to go out and like crash into snowbanks and flip over and stuff. You see, I like that. I mean, you know, if you save one life, that's pretty big. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's extreme, but that's, we have concussions and everything else now is a big deal. Right. And it's a lot of times it's between outstretched arm collarbone and then weird head hits for sure. And you know, I mean, I lost six months of my life to a concussion. It's, it's serious stuff. It is. Well, Dan, I didn't expect to get all these ideas for my, my own, but you've over delivered. Uh, you've been so generous with your time. So I want to, I know you have to get going. So we will make sure to mention the latest book attempts and uh, the program generator at Dan John University. Anything else we should make sure to connect people to? Make sure your listeners know that uh, if they have more questions, uh, ping them to you and we can come back again and talk, okay? That would be amazing, Dan. Thank you so much. We'll link to everything. Be well. All right. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. uh, And I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.